Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes. We'll be going through a Bakano Light Novel 3 analysis, and this will be the final analysis of that volume. We'll be going through the characters of Shez, Chane, and Huey, and they all revolve around the idea of trust, the bonds that exist between people. They can stay firm, break apart, and then come back together. We'll start off with Shez. Shez is an immortal from 200 years ago. He finds himself on the flying pussyfoot due to hiding something on there, and he's travelling to meet someone, a fellow immortal named Miser. What Shez hid were explosives he made as a byproduct of his research. He plans to sell these to the Runarada family for a ton of money. These explosives are the same explosives Jacuzzi's gang are after. It's the loot. Shez was surprised when he heard of the death of Zillard. He didn't believe it at first. Zillard was a monster, and it was because of him that all of the alchemists split, to run away from that tainted soul. The Shez isn't pure. He's a bit twisted himself. He makes it clear to us that if Zillard hadn't made them all split, he would have ate them all by now. He would have done everything that Zillard was attempting to do. With that statement, we get a window into the inner psyche of Shez. His plan isn't to meet Miser and greet him, but it's to meet Miser and eat him, to take his knowledge. Now despite Shez being 200 years old, he looks just like a little boy. This makes sense because he became an immortal when he was just a little kid, and so he stopped aging. He is a researcher, but I can't help but think, how can he visually pass as a researcher? His appearance is that of a child. Does no one question that he looks like a kid? Does he have a system set up where most people don't actually know it's him doing the research? Well, I can speculate. I am curious how he specifically gets away with it. Despite looking the way he does, 200 years is a long time, which means there is a deep history to uncover. A tidbit from the past is that when he was on a boat with all the alchemists, he explored the ship with someone, someone he doesn't remember. He thinks that if he eats everyone, eventually he'll understand who he was. I don't believe this plot point is explored within this novel, so I think this is a seed that will bear fruit in a future installment. His small demeanour makes him quite adept at manipulation. Everyone thinks he's just a little boy, and he makes sure to play the part. He makes sure to act like his appearance whenever he's with Isaac and Miriam, Mary and Mrs. Barium, and even Lad at a certain point. He really knows how to act, and he has 200 years of experience in his arsenal. Only his inner monologues reveal the truth of his nature. But what any good actor knows is to switch roles, to flip the script. When Shez is trying to make a deal with Lad, he's very confident, calculating, and definitely doesn't act like a child. The image in the novel makes him seem quite nefarious and even menacing. He talks like a mafia boss and even interrupts Lad. He acts like he's in control of the situation, and even acts like he understands how Lad's mind works. Now we all know Lad, and he hates overconfidence more than anything, and so proceeds to put a bullet in Shez's head, though an injury like that is ultimately harmless to a 200-year-old immortal. Despite the instant recovery, Shez does feel pain. However, a bullet to the head is a quick death, an immediate one, nothing compared to the pain from his past, the agony that he's had to live with. This agony is the meat and potatoes of his character. Everything that has made Shez into the twisted individual he is in the beginning of the novel, and it all revolves around a friend of his. His friend was another immortal, someone he escaped with from Zelad's onslaught. You'd think they would be brothers in arms, comrades who escaped from a vicious tyrant. Unfortunately, it was the opposite. His friend was violent. He beat Shez, smashed his head to bits over and over. He was killed over and over, and put Shez through many levels of hell. The violence was constant. Tragically, 
The more constantly you experience something, the more you get used to it. By the end, Chez's pain tolerance was through the roof. A bullet to the head was basically considered painless. All of this violence, his friend would try to justify it. He tried to talk his way out of it, and unfortunately, Chez was naively believing his words. Chez can't remember if he was actually fooled or if he accepted it because he was too afraid to be alone. He was all Chez had. But why did he act so evil? Why hurt Chez to that degree? Was he afraid of something? Being an immortal, you don't die. There's not much to be afraid of, is there? Other than other immortals, of course. The only other creature to be able to kill you. Chez did manage to fit that description well. This was why. This fear of death. The fear immortality was supposed to fundamentally negate. Permeated throughout his friend's mind. It warped his perception of Chez to one of a potential enemy. He was terrified that Chez would actually eat him. It's ironic, isn't it? Immortality, since the ancient times, has been sought after as the ultimate elixir to the worries of life, to ascend being human by denying death itself. It seems having immortality just creates more anxiety about one's death. This anxiety does eventually manifest past torture within Shez's friend. He finally goes to eat Shez, trying to place his right hand onto him, but Shez manages to win the war. Shez does actually eat him, but from a place of self-defense. In that moment, all of the memories of his friend flooded into his brain. He saw all the thoughts he had, the thoughts he harbored about Chez. He saw the thoughts explicitly, untainted, the raw emotions his friends felt whilst thinking those thoughts. The truth behind the lies, a raw perception of you through the eyes of another. How humiliating. After this moment, Chez decided he would never trust anyone again. After that, his time alone began. He was an observer, he watched people. I guess that's something easily managed in the body of a child. He saw how petty people were, how selfish they were, how worthless they could act. After a while, he started seeing everyone as prey. People that he stood above and people he could devour. That being said, his desire to devour others stemmed from a deep-seated fear. It wasn't the same fear his friend had. It wasn't the fear of death. Chez has lived for 200 years now. Twice the lifetime of the ordinary. No, it wasn't death he feared. It was having his heart laid bare. The embarrassment, the humiliation, the self-hatred, the confusion from having been betrayed by his friend, no one can ever know. Not a single soul. It would be a fate worse than death itself. Any immortal could place their right hand on Chez and learn everything. He won't allow that. And to avoid it at all costs, he'll devour all the immortals. No one can know. That bitterness towards his own circumstances, towards others, informs his way of being. He doesn't care that his explosives will endanger other people. He even asked Lad to murder people on the train. The coldness, unfortunately, makes him very similar in demeanour to that of his friend. It's said that the darkness within his eyes reflect the darkness of his friends. His life was fundamentally intertwined with the humiliation he experienced. There was no hope of ever separating from it. That being said, he knows what he's doing is bad. He's cognizant of it, but he doesn't care. He's conscious, but he's apathetic to the entire thing. He's resigned himself to what he's become. That resignation makes him believe that the rail tracer will actually come after him. It's said that if you do something bad, he'll come after you. Chez knows that the rail tracer will come after him. There's no hesitation in that thought, just an acceptance of his apathy towards others' lives. Despite his apathy for others, others won't leave him alone. See, Chez believes he has felt all the pain in the world. There is no new terror out there that could scare him, no torture method that could hurt him more than what he's already felt. 
He's been through it all. But he's never experienced terror from a monster covered from head to toe in blood. He's never experienced the horror of the rail tracer. This moment is where we see Shez's 200-year-old personality start to crack, where his confidence kind of starts to crumble. Claire is confident that he's never met someone like him, and he's right. It says that when Shez looked into the rail tracer's eyes, he experienced absolute terror, a feeling of being devoured completely when nothing is remained, not even his memories. A new feeling, something he's never experienced before. What Shez is specifically terrified of in that moment is the unknown, the unfamiliar. While he's experienced countless acts of violence, what stands before him is something that he just can't quite grasp. The thought of the name Rail Tracer was dismissed mockingly by Shez, but it's implied that he dismissed it to calm himself down. The idea of the Rail Tracer is ominous and unknown, nothing his 200 years of experience includes. Claire proceeds to push him into the ground on a moving train, chunks of flesh spraying outward on the tracks. Those same flesh pieces slowly try to get back to him at the same time. He's terrified in this scene. The experience makes him question his identity. He can't distinguish if his adult self or child self is the real him. Is he a strong adult on the inside, or is he a child on the inside, just like he is on the outside? Upon peering into the reflection of Claire's eyes, he sees a reflection of himself. Tears in his eyes and a look of horror, Chez confirms that the reflection is probably the real him, a small boy, crying and frightened. This small boy is quite contrary to his inner confidence from before, but we cannot forget the one line from Miser about Chez. He tries to shoulder everything himself, even though he gets lonely easily. He's a type that can't live a long life if he was an ordinary person. That confidence comes from pushing away from others, from a deep-seated fear of others, he makes himself lonely by seeking a certain solitude. He's just a kid who had to take on too much and proceeds to keep doing that. With Mary Berriam, he can't bring himself to endanger the young girl because he would be deceiving a young child, just like his friend did to him. If he did such a thing, it would set ablaze a ferocious amount of self-loathing within him, so he runs away from there. He cuts her off. See, if he had attempted to form a genuine connection with her, then perhaps she could carry some of the burden of his heavy heart. Yeah, Mary is just a child, but that's not the point. You don't have to share the specifics of your past with someone, especially not one so horrific to a child. But Shez has the outward appearance of a kid. He could just tell someone, literally anyone, that he's lonely and scared. He could actually learn to rely on other people, so he can finally heal. Even after having a broken body, he doesn't remember much. He just thinks to himself that he got what he deserved, that the violence was justified completely. It was the terror and retribution he deserved for eating his companion, his friend. Even after having a broken body, he doesn't remember much. He just thinks to himself that he got what he deserved, that the violence he just received was justified. According to him, it was the terror and retribution he deserved for eating his companion, his friend. He's just getting what he deserves. It's retribution for gaining immortality in the first place. Tichez has deep-seated guilt for everything that he's done and his own existence. He's quite similar to Rachel in some ways. She feels deep-seated guilt for ride-stealing and ultimately feels that punishment would be justified. Shez does get punished, and confirms to himself that's exactly how it should be. He's too far within his own world to see a different perspective on his life. He's too far into his self-loathing to ever consider the possibility that his life could be better. That he could like himself more. The healing that's required from Shez can't just come from within. His tunnel vision too much. What he needs is a boost from the outside, an unknown force, 
a wind to push him forward to be able to see something new, a gust in the form of Isaac and Miria. Isaac and Miria stretches down to grab Shez. Little bits of blood drip from Isaac, and then they proceed to go back into him. Shez finally finds the other immortals on the train. It was them. He's freaking out now. He thinks they aren't there to save him. They aren't just there to save a little boy who's been ripped to shreds. They're there to eat him. And the second they do, they'll see his memories, the humiliation he's experienced, his feelings of regret. But his fears were misguided. Isaac and Miriam do everything they can to save him. Anything in order to make sure he lives. They just see him as a little boy, the little boy he actually is. They even shield him with both their bodies, which were drawn amazingly. They saved him, and his flesh comes together as well. But also, Shez is whole again. He's not whole just physically. A part of him inside is feeling more whole as well. To his disbelief, immortals, the other beings he feared for his dear life, people who he was 100% convinced he could never trust, saved his life. An outside perspective that changed everything. He knows that he can't eat them for the sake of his anxiety. He knows this. He knows that the second their memories would flood into him, he would know just how amazing of people they are. He wouldn't be able to compare to them. He could never live feeling something like that. Isaac tells him that the rail chaser only goes after bad people and kills them, and since Shez didn't die, he must be a good person. While Shez is no longer afraid of Isaac, he doesn't consider himself good, not even close. He objects and says he's bad, that he lied to them. He's still acting like a little boy, but what he actually means is, you don't know how bad I really am. But Isaac shows a more positive view of Shez's actions. To think you lied to keep everyone from worrying about you, even though you're the one who's hurting the most. See, this isn't to show that Shez is actually secretly an amazing guy who's always been caring about others. It's more so to depict that he doesn't realise just how much of a burden he puts onto himself. Once again, the quote from Isaac, he lies even though he's the one hurting the most. He doesn't share his pain with anyone. Like Miser said, he puts everything on his shoulder. He takes the pain of betrayal with him everywhere and never wants anyone to see how vulnerable he was. He doesn't even consider for a moment that someone may actually have empathy for him. No, I can only rely on myself. I can't trust anyone but myself. So he leads a lonely life. He needs to learn to rely on others, to connect with others, to form a connection where he can trust and feel connected, a certain warmth that everyone needs. He meets Mary Berriam again and apologises for leaving her in the closet. Deep down, he's really glad he didn't betray her. He's glad that he felt a connection with her, and he's glad that she trusts him all throughout that. He's surprised by the level of trust shown by Mary, Isaac, and Miria. They all have this naive, like childlike trust, where they don't doubt other people. It was probably the same trust he had towards his friend, until he was betrayed. And now, Shez has taken steps to trust again, to form a genuine connection, to let his heart sink, to finally get all his emotions out with another person. And he does just this. When he meets Miser again at the station, he knows he could just eat him, but there's no way he's doing that. Tears formed in his eyes. His shoulders slouch a little and he breaks down in front of him. This culminates in the best image in the whole novel, where he is holding onto Miser. A Miser is looking down at him with a somber smile as Shez lets out all his emotions in his arms. He says it feels like a dream and that he doesn't want it to end. He's finally able to receive love. Now that's all for Shez, we'll be moving on to Chane. As we all know from the previous light novel, Chane is an assassin, 
has intense eyes and is very dedicated to Huey. We learn far more about her from the third novel of Barkiner. Sichan is only working with Goose only because she believes that his hostage operation will lead to the rescue of Huey. She believes that Huey is in more danger within the prison he's kept in. She's heard word of an immortal being in the Bureau of Investigation. The only direct threat to an immortal is another immortal. They can eat the other and take their memories. Chinese thinks Huey is in grave danger because of this. The threat is too great, so she has no choice but to ally with the black suits. We know from Volume 2 that Goose doesn't trust her, but now we know that China doesn't trust him either. She knows Goose will betray her or try to kill her. She knows that the love he shows for Huey is just a facade. He only cares about obtaining the secret to immortality from him. It's just a transaction for him. It's different for Chane. She cares for Huey. She's not interested in obtaining anything from him. She just cares deeply for him. He was not a lover or anything like that. She's her father, and also the only person in the world she trusts. Since Huey is that important to her, in a way, he's also her kryptonite, and Lad knows this. During their fight, Lad taunts her and every time he reveals information about Huey, Chane gets hesitant and mad. Every time his name is even mentioned, she gets set off. But the one thing Lad says that cuts her deep is implying that Huey is just using her. That the only person she trusts is someone untrustworthy. That she's being manipulated. It's clear that Chane has put all her trust into just one person. She doesn't trust Goose or his men. She doesn't trust anyone. She can't rely on anyone. If someone's going to save Huey, it has to be her. Everyone else would just screw it up. This lack of trust is very similar to the fear many of the immortals feel. They're constantly on the lookout for other immortals that could potentially eat them. Having to verify someone before forming a connection must be tiring. It's very fitting that she has a lot of similarities to an immortal named Shez. He too has deep trust issues where he's scared to rely on others, but he ultimately learns to do so with Isaac and Miriam. Just like Shez, China meets someone that perhaps acts as a southeast wind for her. A gentle gust to mend her lack of faith in the world. That gust comes in the form of Claire. Claire interferes in the fight between Lad and Chane, and he's intrigued by her. He begins to care for her once he hears that Huey is against hostage-taking, that she's just a person who's trying to save someone dear to them. During this, he notices Chane's lack of trust. He has a solution, however. He offers to marry her, to be adopted into their family, and to protect Huey. She is bewildered by this, though this is a solution. Marrying her would make him part of the family, and being adopted would also make him part of the family. Since China only trusts those within her family, then with that logic, she's guaranteed trust. It's very straightforward logic. Despite the straightforwardness, he states that it will be a love-filled marriage with complete commitment and that he won't steal Huyui's immortality. He has to be gifted it. Claire seems to be ticking off all the things on China's list, though he is just a random guy who's basically proposing to her. But I guess what's required in this instance is a leap of trust from her. If she can manage to muster that up, then maybe she can be less hesitant, less wary of others. Luckily for Claire, she does take that risk. She writes that she'll meet him in Manhattan. This engraving she leaves on the train is not coming from someone who has learned to trust, but it's coming from someone who's perhaps taking a chance to try. This is the first step, the first step to real connection. Claire states that China has similar eyes to his own, where she doesn't know what to turn her emotions onto, so she just stores them up inside of herself. Perhaps through their marriage, she can maybe allow herself to express her emotions more easily. 
the willingness to express such emotions can only occur through a willingness to develop trust. Without that, she can't hope to form new connections with others. She can't hope to express her emotions. She's not allowing herself to be vulnerable. Perhaps in the future, they will both help each other open up. Now, just a little bit about Huey. I thought it would be useful to explore the character of Huey because we'll definitely be seeing more of him as time goes on. So we know that the only person Huey tells the truth to is Chaining. So from this we can gather that they trust each other. He seems to be a revolutionary, but interestingly enough, he doesn't actually care about what happens after he brings out a revolution. What he's interested in is his ability to make a revolution happen to begin with. And more specifically, he wants to gauge the social limits of immortals. Can an immortal make ripple effects that permeate throughout society? He wants to make this change without harming others though. He wants to make a revolution without being dirty. Lad thinks this is naive and that his resolve is weak and pathetic. We'll have to see if what Lad says is correct or not. Now that's all for the characters. I hope you enjoyed my thoughts on Shez, Chane and Huey. And that's all for the third volume. So next week we'll be going through volume 4. I look forward to seeing you guys there. Thanks.